Now we have the opportunity to sit in meditation in order to train our minds. We've just been chanting the praises of the fully self-awakened Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And we uh, give our praise to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha through having our mindfulness and recollection while we're chanting in establishing our mindfulness well with uh, these praises so that our hearts settle into peace. We feel a fullness within our heart. And so this chanting uh, brings great benefits to us. If there's a lot of thinking going on, then that can vanish through chanting. Or if we feel annoyed or the mind's in a very scattered and chaotic state, then the chanting can help to ease that. So if we have a love for chanting, or if it's something that we like, and we see the benefits in it, then we use it to bring up energy in our hearts, offering the energy we have in our body, our speech, in our mind. And this is a very skillful action in reciting the Dhamma. So sometimes when we chant, uh, this Dhamma can really come into our hearts and allow our minds to gather together in a state of peace. We may chant just uh, one thing, like uh, rupang anichang, the form is impermanent. The question may come up, well, how is it impermanent? What does that actually mean? What's that like? When we chant uh, rupang dukang, rupang anatta, that form is stressful, that it's not self. What does that actually mean? So when we chant, uh, what we're doing is reciting the Dhamma, and we can bring up just one aspect of that to contemplate, and go through that until we come to a clear understanding of it. So the peace of our minds is very important, because it's the, it has the causes and conditions for wisdom uh, true knowledge to arise. So the knowledge that comes through our studies, that's one kind of wisdom. Or the knowledge that comes up through listening and reading is another kind. Or that comes through thinking and contemplating, like that chant, uh, that form is impermanent. So what do these forms of ours contain? Well, there's hair of the head, hair of the body, mouths, teeth, and skin. There's the blood, the bones, uh, or the various organs. Are these actually impermanent or not? You should think about it and reflect upon it. So when we do think about this, and that gives rise to one level of wisdom, then our minds may be able to accept the truth that these things are impermanent. When we think in that way, and the heart can receive that, then there's a sense of ease within our minds. But when we meet with a sense impression, then instantly a sense of self comes up as well, taking this as me or mine. And the mind loses its acceptance of that truth because of the presence of ego. So the self brings up conceit and thinking that we are higher than others. 
and even if we actually are uh, higher than them, um, if our minds really believe in that meaning, give the meaning that we are higher, then that's not correct. There may be, the truth may be that uh, there is you know, being higher than someone else, uh, but that giving a meaning to it, the placing of importance in that, is just ego and conceit. And whether we're higher, we're equal, or we're lower, we'll have to die just the same. So people who are intelligent need to die, and those who are stupid also need to die. We reflect on death in this way, then it brings up ease in our hearts. If someone shouts at us, or scolds us, or is insulting towards us, um, then the person who did that, who said those abusive things, they have to die. And the one who receives that abuse also has to die. But these uh, cases, when someone does insult us, it's a good opportunity for us to test our minds. There was one time that um, my teacher, Lumpur uh, Bunna, a teacher when I was a layperson, he was a disciple of Lumpur uh, he had one of his nuns shout at him, and she used really coarse and abusive language. She asked him for some money, but he replied that he didn't have any money, and so she got very angry and annoyed and started to shout at him. But in response, he just laughed. He saw it all as being dhamma. He said that before the things that you're saying about me, they were real, they were true, but now there's no truth to what you're saying. Before there was birth and death, but now there's no more birth. And so he laughed at uh, what she said, and even though she was abusing him, uh, there was joy in his heart throughout it. So the great teachers who have practiced well, they don't have any anger in their hearts. There's no conceit within them. So there's no thought of, well, I'm a monk and she's a nun, so why is she trying to teach me in this way? There is no self. But if we do have a self, then it's really difficult. It's hard to put these things down. And when we meet with uh, these cases or these instances, then um, we know what our minds are like, and we know that we have to train them further. So when, we, when our hearts are imbued with wisdom, then we'll be able to contemplate in a way that allows us to see the truth of not-self. We may think in this way, we may understand it intellectually, um, but when we meet with a sense impression, uh, our mindfulness uh, can't keep up with it. So we have to contemplate often and bring our minds to a state of emptiness frequently and try to get them there to emptiness as quickly as possible. Whenever we meet with a sense impression, um, try not to allow the mind to give rise to self, to me and other, but to bring it back to our meditation objects. And such as having mindfulness over this Wupang Anichang, 
or rupang dukang, or rupang anatta, and try and do it very quickly. Bring our mindfulness back as fast as we can. Know what it is that our hearts are feeling, and um, be aware of that. If there's any self that comes up, any ego that arises, um, then we contemplate that. See it as a dhamma, a phenomena that is unskillful. But it's also a natural phenomena, something that arises, persists, and then ceases. So we shouldn't attach to it either. See that really there's no thing that's there. But if we can't do this in time, then we may get angry, or we may get upset. So we need to take good care of our hearts. What's important is this wisdom that arises from the cultivation of the mind, from our bhavana. And this bhavana means development. So this is, or well, the wisdom that comes through thinking is all right. And through it, we are able to defeat the defilements to one degree. But we also need to bring our minds up to the next level, which is the wisdom that comes through uh, inner cultivation, that arises from a mind that's at peace. So we put our efforts into doing this, into cultivating this wisdom. But even though we have effort, we don't uh, get stressed out over it. Any emotion that comes up, we figure out how to deal with that, how to relieve that mood. So for example, if we're feeling very sleepy, then we can change postures, we can get up and walk. And walk about in a way that makes us feel at ease. You can watch the mountains or watch a tree. And the heart can then uh, come to a place of peace. So there was one time that I was with Mpucha, uh, uh, attending to him. And there was one monk who was sitting there as well, and he was very sleepy. And even though Mpucha was teaching Dhamma, uh, this monk was just sitting there, nodding off. So Lumpucha, he taught this monk uh, to chant a Hindu verse and to chant it really loudly. And when he did this, uh, the sleepiness that this monk had was uh, completely relieved. So it shows us that chanting can really help uh, to relieve ourselves of uh, drowsiness. So also another time when a novice was attending on Lumpucha, and it was 8 p.m., but this novice was really tired. He was nodding off as well. And so Lumpur Cha told him to get up and heat some water up for him. And just through doing that, the novice's mind turned very bright. So when we look into our own minds, we need to see what's there, what they contain, and try to fix anything that's gone amiss. It's also very useful to stay close to awakened teachers because they can tell us how to solve these problems and we can remember the formula that they've given us. So if we're feeling sleepy, then we can chant and allow our minds to feel at ease. And this is a good way of relieving drowsiness.
And then when our minds are peaceful, we can come back and sit. But we shouldn't just sit with our eyes closed when we're feeling drowsy. Because even though we may have the appearance of external effort, there is no internal effort, there's no mindfulness. So we need to be careful there. If the heart is feeling dark, then don't close your eyes. Rather, keep them open and look, maybe uh, gaze at a Buddha image. Or we can recite chants over and over in our hearts. So the samadhi arises and wisdom comes up following that. So when we train our minds, we also need to be very careful around what we do. Whether we're standing, sitting, walking, lying down, we need to have restraint, looking into the state of our minds, telling ourselves that life is unsure, but death is sure. So what's the point of getting angry, of loving or hating, when we all have to die? And this is taking the object of death as a recollection. So we train our hearts like this and do it a lot. Bring up, or bringing up mindfulness or the recollection of emptiness is also a very good object and it can be very quick uh, to bring our minds to peace. So if that works, then use that as the object of the mind and do it a lot. And when we practice every day, then our hearts get into the habit of this inner training. And when it comes to the time uh, for us to chant or to sit in meditation, so say 7 p.m. or 7.30, then the mind will just want to gather together. It will feel cooler and cooler, and both the body and mind are buoyant and light, and samadhi will be able to arise. Initially, though, it can be very difficult uh, to get into a state of samadhi, but as we practice, it uh, gets more and more easy. And when samadhi is something that's natural for us, it shows that we are very wealthy in terms of dhamma. Before, we may have been very poor. Our samadhi was quite weak, but it was enough to just barely survive on. So when it's like that, we need to forbear with the difficulties that we face, all of the chaos, all of the disturbance that can be present in the heart. But when this samadhi does come up, then it makes our hearts at ease. There can also be lots of doubt. And when I had this initially in my practice, and there was so much uh, confusion and um, hesitation over the practice. But this is just another hindrance. Even though it's a hindrance, we can still attach to it as being self, as being something that belongs to me. But this works against uh, the cultivation of peace. If we have strong mindfulness, we'll be able to see that doubt is really nothing. It just arises, lasts for a bit, and then ceases. And this is how the great teachers taught. They taught very straight, just to look at doubt as it arises, as it persists, and as it passes away. When I heard this, I thought to myself, well, is that all there is to it? 
well, surely there must be more that we have to do to relieve doubt. But that thought was just even more doubt. When it comes up really strong, then, and we follow it, then we just won't be able to control our minds, and it'll stir us up and cause a lot of chaos. But when the mind comes together and is peaceful and still, then we'll be able to see that it's merely a mental impression, and that's all. It's something that is inconstant and impermanent. We'll be able to see all of the thoughts we have over the past and the future as they enter our minds. Observe them as they arise and cease, and the mind will be detached and very cool and peaceful. It shows that wisdom has arisen. So the coming together of wisdom is something that's very amazing. And sometimes we may see people walking about. But when the mind is in a state of calm, we won't see them as people. They're just merely bodies that are moving. When we observe in this way, that means that we've seen the Dhamma. So in one of the suttas, there's a case of this as well. That there um, was a monk who was taking a skeleton as his object of meditation, uh, reciting uh, the meditation word of atikulang. These uh, bones are repulsive. And there was a husband and wife who had an argument with each other, and the wife just decided to leave. And she walked past uh, this monk who was walking along a path in the forest. Later on, her husband came by and asked this monk if he saw a woman pass. And he replied that he didn't see any woman, he just saw a skeleton walking past. So it shows that this monk uh, was well attained and uh, later on became an arahant. Numpucha also said that when he was practicing, um, sometimes when he was walking on arms round, he would look at the other monks or the people that he was passing as just being ghosts or as being skeletons. And when the mind can settle in a state of samadhi, then we're able to bring up any perception that we want, anything that helps the mind to become still. So therefore, we should all do this practice, we should try to keep it up. Even though samadhi may be something difficult for us at the moment, but one day the heart will come into peace. Whether it's a little or a lot, it will form to be a place of rest for our hearts. And when we have this place where our hearts can abide in ease, then wisdom can arise, giving us internal energy this energy that comes from inner cultivation. In the beginning, it can be difficult, but even so, or it's difficult because there isn't much of a foundation for our minds. And just like when someone is unskilled and doesn't have a job, then it's hard for them to find food. But when they do become proficient in a profession, uh, then they can find money and they can eat. So this meditation is just the same.
We're very fortunate to be able to stay close to a good meditation teacher. And for myself, being close to Lumpur Cha, it was, uh, I had a lot of merit to have the opportunity to be uh, close by him. That he had the great kindness uh, to teach me, and I would listen to his Dhamma. If I strayed off the correct path, he would pull me back onto the right way. And when I was with him, I'd have to take great care over my mind so that it didn't go and spill out into various things, but I'd try to keep it with the word Buddha. There was one time that Lumpur Cha went to travel to Bangkok, and uh, one of his attendants asked me to go with him, because there was no one else who could do it. And when I was sitting there on the train with Lumpur Cha, I was very uh, scared so I, that my mind would just go off and think about many different things. I was shy that Bhuchar would know what I was thinking about. But I had to go on this journey. So even as I fell asleep, I was still reciting uh, Buddha right until the point where I uh, fell unconscious. So I kept the, my meditation object with me, trying not to think, but always keeping my mind with the word Buddha. And I was attending on Kampucha as well, as we were sitting on this train. But they had bunk beds on the train, it was two levels, and Kampucha wasn't able to make it up to the second level. And so he decided to sleep on the first one, and he told me to go up <laughs> and sleep above him on the second level. But I just couldn't do that. I felt like I would fall into hell if I went to sleep above my teacher. So I decided to sleep on the floor instead. And he told me to sleep uh, above him many times, but I just couldn't do it. I felt like I would fall into hell if I did, because I held him with the highest respect. I felt like my mind uh, was just like a monkey. So I didn't have any right to be sleeping above an arahant. I just couldn't do it. So I decided to sleep on the floor instead, the place where people walked around. That was much better than sleeping above my teacher. I used my sangati, my outer robe, as a pillow. But I had to be careful as well, because I was afraid that Sumpucha would get up to go to the toilet at night and he would have to step over me. So I was very wary of any movement uh, that he would make, so I could wake up before he got up. There were times as well that I would massage him, and he would look like he was asleep, but he wasn't actually sleeping, because when I stopped massaging, uh, then he would suddenly wake up. But as I, I massaged him, I just do it very lightly, touch him, very lightly. So I had great luck to be able to be close to him. The most important thing was being able to listen to his Dhamma, was being able to receive his teachings and believe uh, in what he taught me. But even though I had this great respect for him, I also had my own perceptions uh, about what Arahant should be like. So there's one time that uh, Lumpur Cha, he 
was telling me, just in a very casual, informal uh, manner, just having a, a light conversation with me, who was letting me know about how he felt about a meeting that he just have, that he just had, uh, that the monks <coughs> were saying that uh, he shouldn't smoke or eat betel nut, but that he he felt bad about this because. Uh, the lay people came to offer him so much betel nut, and he felt like he, he should have it. And it was also something that he used to enjoy in the past. And I really should have listened compassionately to him, really opened up and just listened to what he was saying. But I had my own perceptions about what arahant should be like, that they shouldn't attach to things in the past. Um, but he was just speaking in terms of conventions. However, he wasn't attached to those conventions. His mind was one thing, and the objects of his mind were another thing. They weren't mixed together. But when I listened to him talk, I did attach to what he was saying. I thought that Arahan shouldn't speak like this. They shouldn't talk about the past. They shouldn't be attached to the past. My thinking was devoid of wisdom. I really should have just sat and been a good listener. But I was attached uh, to my concepts of liberation. So there were many times that Vucha tried to teach me in this way. And there were also many times I just didn't really get the teaching. It's only later that I was able to understand what he was doing. But at that time, he'd already passed away. So it's very, I was very fortunate to have that opportunity to be close to him. So now for all of us that we have this faith, um, we should put our efforts and be intense on practice, set our hearts on cultivating our minds. So today is the 5th of October, 2020.